Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. Zero G. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio for episode number 1292, entitled The Grin Reaper. A podcast title is K-Pod 2. (laughs) (laughs) As you probably gathered from Megan's eloquent introduction there in South Korean or is it like... Korean, yeah. Korean. Yeah. (laughs) I never really thought about that. Do they speak a different language in North Korea? They'd have their own dialect of it, like because across Korea there's different dialects, but roughly probably be quite similar. Actually, I think given the uh, North Korean regime, they might have their own dialects. Exactly. Right, so we are going to have a look at some Korean movies and, and a television show today. Mm-hmm. We did that uh, earlier on when we looked at um, Bong's movies. Yes, we did a bit of a retrospective on Bong Joon-ho after Parasite, and that mm-hmm. was quite fun. And, yeah, I think there's a lot of Korean content out there, so we thought we'd check it out again. We'll have to have a look at the uh, the new Snowpiercer, of which Bong is one of the producers. Yes, the new TV series that's uh, available on Netflix. So I think, yeah, I'm interested to see how that is. I'm not too sure about it yet, but if he's involved, I have a bit more faith in the project. So, yeah, we'll probably check yeah. that out in the future. So just a little bit of geographically relevant track here by Natalia Laguens to suit the mood of our second look at Korean genre on the small screen, maybe the large as well if there's time. The nostalgically yearning, I want to go back, Korea. Hi, this is Scott Bakula. Welcome aboard Zero G on Free Triple R FM. I want to go back, Korea. And a pony single by Natalia Le Guin's laying down the tone for our Korean genre television special today on Zero G. So, a few things first before we get into the rest of it. Well, I didn't quite expect to be living through Grand Master Science Fiction writer Robert A. Heinlein's future historical crazy years, as well as an era where rooftops have Douglas Martin sun power screens and private individuals and companies send manned reusable rockets into space. But, well, here we are. Mm. As I say this, I I know that the two-man crew of the Dragon X space capsule Actually, you know, I love that word capsule, space capsule, (laughs) (laughs) on the Demo 2 mission, uh, have made orbit successfully and were en route to dock with the International Space Station, and that the first stage Falcon 9 booster had also successfully absolutely nailed its unmanned landing on the drone barge, Of Course I Still Love You, which is named after one of Ian Banks's ginormous artificially intelligent starships from his renowned culture series of books. The other barge is called Just Read the Instructions. (laughs) Speaking of pop culture, the dragon capsules themselves are named after Puff the Magic Dragon, an ironic tip of the hat to SpaceX critics who said that the company's ambitions were fantasy, and the Falcon boosters refer to the Millennium Falcon. (laughs) 
Very good. <laughs> anyway, what a what a geek Mr. Musk is. Oh yeah. Anyway, what a mind-boggling achievement. Um, good on you, Elon Musk, and clear skies and safe landings, SpaceX, now and in the future. As you'll know, if you've listened to Zero G Rabbit on, <laughs> Elon Musk was one of the inspirations for the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Tony Stark, adding to the earlier comic iterations who drew upon Howard Hughes and Errol Flynn. So, belated happy 50th birthday to the MCU Tony Stark. Oh, wow. He, he was born on May 29th, 1970. And okay, he dies a glorious death, saving, well, pretty much everyone in the universe, which is about the size of his ego, <laughs> in the year 2023. But so notionally, he's still alive on Earth 199999 <laughs> in 2020, where he is happily married to Pepper Rescue Potts and with her parenting the precocious Morgan H. Stark. Party at Tony's. <laughs> <laughs> and so to uh, commemorate that, we'll just put a track called Can You Dig It, which is from the Iron Man 3 soundtrack album. Hi, this is Michael Palin, and right now you are lucky enough to be listening to 102.7 3 R FM. <laughs> Can You Dig It, the Iron Man 3 soundtrack album. Brian Tyler there, the compositional Jarvis for the third Iron Man movie. Right, now, Megan, you gave us a nice Korean introduction at the start of the show today. Uh, <laughs> this is the second time we've spotlit some Korean genre movies and television shows, and you should take the lead here because you found this show. Yes, so let us dig into this one. I'm interested to hear your thoughts, Rob, but we both checked out a series called Black and it's on Netflix. So it's available internationally on Netflix, though it did screen on the OCN network in South Korea. Now it's an older series. It did originally come out in 2017, but obviously one of the great things about platforms like Netflix is that they can now distribute international content to international audiences. And so we're seeing a lot of these older international series available to us, which is great. So what's interesting to note about this? So it's kind of it's pitched as a bit of a fantasy thriller and I'll dig a bit more into the actual premise. But one thing that I did notice is that it is, it has a lot going on here tonally. So yes, it's, oh, a, yeah. fantasy, it's a fantasy thriller. There's an element of crime, police mystery as well. There's a bit of like slapsticky comedy stuff. There's the beginnings of some romantic melodrama happening there's uh, sort of dark elements of more darker drama playing out and we get a bit of that like fish out of water trope. Yes, there's a lot going on here, but the basic premise is we have a police detective called Han Mugang and he's a detective in Korea and he's played by uh, Song Seung Hon. And so this detective, we sort of start with him as our protagonist and we're also introduced to a, a young woman who has a mysterious gift and her name is Har Kang Haram and she's played by Go Ara. So she, I mean, I think I can tell you what the gift is because it's kind of part of the premise of the show, but she can see people's imminent death as this kind of shadow behind them. So she's been haunted by this gift all her life. She really has been struggling with it a lot. 
And so we kind of get her journey alongside this kind of semi-bumbling police detective when we first meet him. In, in fact, he's so bumbling that he froze up on, onto the remains at crime scenes, thus totally destroying the evidence chain. There's a very lax approach to uh, CSI here. Um, obviously, I did say before it was a fantasy thriller, so it, the show then does introduce this fantasy element. And I won't go too much into the details, but it does involve a layer of the underworld and the Grim Reaper and kind of the the Grim Reaper or one of the Grim Reapers being on Earth and, you know, having a bit of a mission on Earth and meeting up with these characters, so to speak. There's also a side plot that's going on here. I think they really do stack a lot into these Korean shows. There's also another layer of an older mystery uh, sort of a 20-year-old crime, as well as some current murders that we're kind of looking into. So there's a lot happening in this, but that's kind of your basic vibe is that we've got some supernatural biz. It's sort of all wrapped up in a kind of detective detective show energy, but it's also got bits of melodrama, bits of comedy. I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on it, Rob, but what I found is, it's, it's interesting because I looked up in its original run on TV, it did air over two nights over just the space of a few months. And I think you can tell it's really? paced that way. Mm. So, so there's 18 episodes and each one is over an hour long. There's a lot of content here. And then when you think about that it's aired twice a week, it's sort of meant to be consumed in a short period, kind of like a soap opera-esque in some ways. And that kind of makes sense because our story and our plot is very drawn out. Details are kind of dropped here and there, and you're not really sure what's relevant uh, in the first couple of episodes, and then things sort of start to come to the surface over episodes, and you kind of start to fall into the pace of the show. You've checked out a couple of episodes, Rob. What's your kind of initial thoughts? Okay, well, I watched the first episode, which I guess functions as a pilot, mm. and the second episode as well. So I feel like I've got a, a decent handle on where it's sort of going. Ah. Uh, but they do actually quite surprise me as I go mm. along. Mm. So mm. I, I dug into some um, uh, Korean supernatural dramas and television shows mm. uh, to see if I could get a context for this show. Yes. And there are a lot of them. It, yeah. it's, it is just as much a trope as... Um, as the, the Korean uh, soap opera that's set in contemporary times or uh, the ones that are set in, in courtly times, sort of in medieval and Renaissance eras. Um, so it's got their, their own trope there, which is pretty much the same as um, uh, Western tropes. You mm. know, like we've had our recent uh, supernaturals and um, vampire academies and, yeah. and Buffy the Vampire, like all, you know, all the whole thing. Um, but the obvious uh, there's one called Goblin. Okay, yep. Um, and that also has many of the same sorts of characters right. that, that I've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them run a bit of a bromance through them. Yeah. I haven't seen that so much in this one. And uh, there are other ones which have got vampires in them. You know, they go for the whole yeah. the whole gamut of um, supernatural creations. Oh, it also reminds me a bit of an American show, a comedy um, supernatural show called Reaper. Ah, yes, I've heard of that. Haven't watched it, though. Had the same sort of concept, really. It was a guy who inherited the post of being the Reaper, Mm -hmm. and he didn't really want to do it. 
where in this case there are elements that are a bit different in play. Mm. But I do wonder because um, that that, uh, American show was shown in Asia. Ah. So I'm wondering if there were some echoes down the track or something. wouldn't be the first time. Well, I mean, this show is a couple of years old, though, so maybe this came first. You know, we could unpick that, but I don't think we will. (laughs) (laughs) But anywho. Look, I really, really like the two main actors in this. Yes. Arago. She's just, I I do not want to use the word feisty. (laughs) She has lived with this gift of hers Mm. or curse Mm. for all of her life, and it has changed her. Yeah. You know, her attitude to death and life is different from the usual person. Mm. So, and she does remind me of that great uh, American tradition of young women with certain supernatural powers. You know, I'm yeah. thinking Ghost Whisperer and, um, you know, all those sorts of shows. Yeah. So, but she is great. Arago is, is terrific in this role. She's got a strong character with moments of vulnerability. I mean, it's not too much of a. A giveaway to say that she finds herself in, I think, the in- initial episode in a situation where she is uh, confronted with mass casualties. Yeah, yeah. And she has to see their shadows all at once. And that's actually a fascinating little story in itself mm. that would make a good episode of, say, an anthology science fiction series or a horror series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's what I like. There are little vignettes in this that do stand out like that. And her relationship with our bumbling detective. Mugang, yes. (laughs) Mugang has layers and layers to it. It does. Some of which might seem a bit corny, but Mm -hmm. in context of this general empowerment thing, I think you can get away with that. Yeah. It's interesting that you said you felt you knew where the the show was sort of going. I'm not that much further. I'm one episode further, but I will say I think the third episode by far is, was far and away, my favourite of the three, I thought it was much more engaging. A lot more happened. It picks up the pace with some of the more modern-day crime stuff yeah. and Mugang's character kind of finds his stride and you start to see what the show is going to do. It's kind of this buddy movie, this otherworldly mortal kind of pairing and they kind of mould his character a bit and you sort of start to understand where the show is going to go. And I would say by far the third episode, because I wasn't sure about it over the first two, to be honest. I was a bit like reticent about uh, what what is this doing? I've been with this show for three hours now and I'm not sure what it's giving me. And then, because they're long episodes, but then the third episode I was like, all right, I'm I'm here. I can, you know, I think we would have, I would have liked to see a bit of this earlier, but I, I'm now I'm a bit more more hooked. So... Well, yeah. look, if, if you are watching an episode of uh, Midsummer Murders or Miss Marple, they're long episodes too, probably True. longer than this. True. It's about, what was it, about an hour, 16, something like that. A couple of them are one and a half. The stories do develop over time and they also have, I find that they have a very strong, um, I wouldn't, I hasten to call it an epilogue, but really the final act is quite is quite extended because mm. it's, it's leading into the next episode. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I actually did quite appreciate the way they did it. Look, it is actually differently paced to other uh, to we- some Western paranormal detective series, of which there have been many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, Supernatural is sort of like that, the Brothers Grimm. Yep. Um, any of the ones where there's a werewolf playing the detective, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or uh, a vampire. But the one it does remind me quite strongly of is Lucifer. 
Ah, yep, yep, yep. So when the Reaper starts doing police procedural himself, yeah. it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Since we mentioned um, Ara Go, or Go, sorry, Go Ara, <laughs> I like the way that that sounds the other way too. Yeah, yeah. Like, Go Ara. And she's done another movie called Papa. Or papa. Mm-hmm. She's a singer too, of course. Naturally. <laughs> so we've got a, a track that we can play from that. And uh, yeah, this is this is uh, our female lead from the Korean supernatural comedy drama series I'll, I'll go with. Mm. And uh, it's a song called Start. This is Peter Woodward. I play the Technomage Galen in Babylon 5 and Crusade. And you are listening to Zero G. Who do you serve? And who do you trust? And there you have it. We had Go Ara singing Start, which is from another movie that she appeared in called Papa. Go Ara is the actress who plays the female lead in the Korean supernatural comedy drama series Black. Black referring to the what are the Grim Reapers in it. Grim Reaper 444, also known as Black. <laughs> if they can do a, a wee joke <laughs> or, a, or a fart joke or a funny food joke, they will go there in this series. Oh, the food joke. Oh, there's some stuff in here that I was like, are we doing this? Are we going here? And, yeah, the show has some fun with some elements and then it will kind of do a left turn and dig into, you know, some kind of darker crime. It, it really does tonally shift quite a lot. It's quite interesting what it sort of gets away with all of its pivots. I originally thought that Detective Han was going to be like the straight guy. To yeah. The, to the female with the powers. He does have a power, which is throwing up on crime scenes. <laughs> which they really like <laughs> zoom in on some of the <laughs> some of the gross stuff here. But it's it's interesting how they set up his character quite carefully in the first episode. And there's a yeah. couple of little tidbits they throw out that you're like, what's that about? What's what's going on here? And then, yeah, they do a pivot, let's just say. And I, I think that's a very interesting move as well. But, yeah, um, on this, this series, Korean supernatural drama, Black, I'm enjoying it. Mm. I don't know if I can stick it for 18 episodes. 18 but- yeah, long episodes, but... <laughs> if they can keep coming up with fresh takes on the ideas of being able to uh, foretell people's deaths. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, if you're any decent kind of human being, you are going to try and stop those deaths. I mean, that's, you know, that's a given, really. Yeah. Either that will try and take advantage of it. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to say? I would Who's be very say? keen if you check out episode three because... Three really kicked it up for me in a good Mm -hmm. way, kicked it up a notch. So I'm going to continue on with it for a bit. I think it's got some interesting stuff it's doing and it's doing some wacky stuff as well. So give it, I think I'll give it a bit of a shot. It's on Netflix. There are 18 episodes and I should let you know that it's, um, it's pretty gory. Oh yes. Yes. We should disclaimer that. But no more so than Bones or Silent Witness or any of the other forensic shows, which They like to put on the telly just when I'm trying to eat my dinner. That's very true, actually. All of your US procedurals, you're probably not going to be seeing any more than what you see here. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> have you have you watched any um, Korean supernatural television shows before? Um, no. I think I've only ever watched dramas or um, maybe your 
sort of your straight up romance K dramas. Mm. But I think it is. You're right that it's a genre that that they there's a, a few ones out because I remember looking up a couple that we could have covered, and I think they they there are a few available that are well received. So, but this is oh. probably my first real journey, and yeah, it's been an interesting one. Mm. I wouldn't have much time for a a regular Korean soap. Yeah, um, it just has to have a, a genre element. Sometimes um, kicking it out with a, a historical element gets me interested. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, it's the same as, Rob, you wouldn't go for any other lingu- English language soap either. You, you'd like a genre element. so. Well, because it is a detective show, if you took out the paranormal element, I probably might, I would watch, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, I watch, uh, oh, well, I said Bones there yeah. before. A good, um, good procedurals are worth the time. Or, or Midsummer, or... Um, uh, I'm trying to think of a regular one. Um, what's the one with Nathan Fillion? Castle. Uh, ca- yeah, but that he's he, that's gateway from his other genre stuff as well. You <laughs> <It's>, know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it gives me a serene feeling. All of those ones they're heavily geekified because whoever's writing all of those shows they oh, yeah. they load them up with um, pop culture references. Exactly. On the subject of dubbing and the translations, uh, the insults that they throw at the female lead's character. Every now and then they call it you wench. Yeah, <laughs> I've noticed that too. There's another funny one that's coming up, short-legged grandpa. I'm like, I'm wondering <laughs> about these translations. I might have to ask a friend, but, yeah, it might it's, be. it's interesting. Maybe they're traditional. All right, now you chose a track called Take Me Out. Yes, that's right. That's from the Black Original soundtrack. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's by a fellow called, oh, no, I've forgotten, Taehyun. Well, you can uh, take here in a minute and we'll get back to that after the track when we back announce Take Me Out from the Black OST. That was the track Take Me Out by Nam Taehyun. Sorry, Taehyun, forgot your name before. From the soundtrack to Black, which is the show that we were just discussing that's on Netflix at the moment, Korean supernatural thriller. So, okay, we go from a K detective procedural paranormal detective series <laughs> through to an old fiend, which is to say the second season of the Korean historical courtly intrigue <laughs> zombie series, Kingdom. <laughs> what a which, good combo. <laughs> which kicks in its second season on Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, only six episodes, it still kicks major genre ass. Excellent. <laughs> it still rules this show, exploding a lot of zombie tropes, mm-hmm. but just doing them very well in a historical context. And it reminds me very much of, of stories that you could find in the World War Z historical encounters graphic novel. Mm-hmm. which um, Max Brooks put together to show you that zombie infestation and outbreaks have occurred throughout history. Yeah. And so that's what Kingdom reminds me of. It's written by Kim yoon hee who was the author of The Kingdom of the Gods, the webcomic that the series is adapted from, and directed by Kim Seong-hoon. It's not that very distant from a Korean zombie movie called Rampant, mm-hmm. which until recently was on Netflix, but which you have to now chase on um, like Apple TV or uh, Amazon Prime or something like that. That. We have already been through the first season of this, and essentially it's set in Joseon period, 
which is a few years after the Japanese invasions of Korea in the late 16th century. Basically, when the Japanese invaded, the Koreans were hard-pressed. And as any normal... <laughs> okay, normal for a zombie movie. <laughs> as any as any person would do when faced with invasion, you will automatically default to resurrecting the dead to confront the invaders. Of course. I mean, why wouldn't you? It worked for the Nazis, it worked for the Soviets, it's worked so many times throughout zombie movies. Is this the equivalent of like introducing cane toads to help get rid of some other pest and then all of a sudden you have like giant (laughs) soccer ball cane toads, you know, attacking you? Yes, and it's it's also the equivalent of that moment in an alien xenomorph movie where someone decides that they can exploit the creatures. Yes, of course, always a great idea. <laughs> it's almost like there's a Black Adder Baldrick there saying, I have a cunning plan, my lord. <laughs> of course, it all goes to hell in a handbasket. You know, it just doesn't work at all. And there's a brilliant cast of characters who end up trying to sort out this zombie plague as it obviously backfires and rampages across um, the kingdom. Mm. Now, of course, this is a Korean supernatural series. So, of course, we have a bucket load of political courtly intrigue, which is an an entire trope of its own. Season two is just as cool as the first one. We actually do get to see the samurai invasion. Oh, wow. Okay. And so they do actually show that. And I thought, oh, awesome. We get a more complete investigation and explanation of the weird science behind the zombie plague. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it actually makes kind of sense. We get actions in this season that underline the true heroism in uh, Prince Lee Chang's character. He is the usurped heir to the throne and the scheming royal consort is trying to make sure that he doesn't become king in his father's stead. Now, he actually had to kill his father, who was a zombie. Oof. And so, you know, that's kind of difficult in the royal line of succession. <laughs> Ju Ji-hoon plays Prince Lee Chang, still spot on in his portrayal, honest and actually noble of intent and purpose. He's actually almost too good to be true. <laughs> he has his flaws, though, and he's a really, I just like the character. Mm. He is the sort of person that you would want to lead your country in a pandemic, (laughs) unlike some we could talk about. (laughs) He's got a a number of uh, supporting cast members. His loyal personal bodyguard, Kim Sang-ho, plays Mu Yong. He is a great character. He's an older man, (laughs) hard-bitten, so to speak. Excellent. Um, Seasoned warrior, but also a good mentor to the prince. Perfect. and he has his own agenda as well. He's loyal to the throne, mm. and that can cause some conflict in this. Meanwhile, the queen consort, Cho, she has a, her own attempt to secure the throne by producing an heir by whatever evil means that she can manage. Kim Hai-yun plays her as icily ambitious, uh, and she is gorgeously costumed throughout. And she has this hat that I, I just got fascinated with. Um, <laughs> It's got little golden cranes on the tip of the hat. Oh, cool. And it looks great. And she just sits there and she's like this. Scary. Yeah, very formidable character. And then there's Kim Sung-kyu playing uh, Yong Shin, who's a a tiger hunter. He carries Western muskets. Okay. 
And let me tell you, it changes the dynamic when you're facing zombies with a musket that you mm. have to load, you know. And wait and it takes time and Yeah. I would actually like to have seen a bit more put into that, like Last of the Mohicans or uh, uh, Sharp's Rifles in the Richard Sharp series, because I'd, I'd love to have seen a few people firing their muskets and, and shooting the ramrods out of them accidentally because they're in a hurry. And, yeah. You know, and, of course, they, they end up clubbing the muskets uh, when they run out of ammunition and stuff, which is no way to treat a good musket. But needs must when the zombie swarms attack. And they are really well done in the second season. Still, they've done a great job with those. It's really scary at times when they're swarming. These are running zombies. And they can mound up and climb all the now traditional modern zombie tropes. There are some great battles in this. I've mentioned the samurai one, but there's a fight on a rooftop that is glorious. Okay. Uh, amongst the other characters is Shobi, who's played by Bayaduna. She's a physician's assistant, like a they call her nurse throughout this, mm-hmm. but she is the sciencer. Ah. She is the definition of the word courageous. Okay. She's afraid. I mean, as who wouldn't be? But she sticks to her task. And she's clever and mm. smart as a whip in a, a tight corner. And she has to be because there are many tight corners. And this show doesn't neglect its sense of humour either. Speaking of tight spots, there's some poor palace official in the palace loo oh, when the no. zombies attack. <laughs> and the zombies start banging on the door and he yells out irritably, it's taken. <laughs> and before he realises that there's no way out of the Jakes Oof. except for one path. <laughs> I don't know if we actually ever see what happens to him. We may do. I sort of lost track in the battle. Look, towards the end of the second season, they do get more caught up in the court drama right. and spend pretty much an entire zombie-free episode dealing with that. Mm. And there are hints of a third season too. Well, I think it's done quite well for Netflix, not just in Korea but worldwide. So they might give, yeah. it another, give another season. I'd hope so. It cost a packet and they went over budget, I know, in their first season. Yeah. Unfortunately, and I just mentioned this in passing, because it is sad. Two people have actually died in linked to the production. Mm. Uh, one of the, the crew had a heart attack while working on the show. Another person was killed in a car crash. Uh, Ooh, yeah. uh, and it's very sad. I didn't actually see a dedication in the um, in the show. They might very well have been. I did watch it in the dub version. Okay. And it's a good dub, so it, it all kind of makes sense. Well, as much as a, a historical <laughs> Korean court zombie drama can do. <laughs> It's called Kingdom. There are six episodes per season, and again, that's on Netflix. We try not to be too Netflix-centric here on Zero-G, but, you know, it is streaming. They have a packet of genre stuff that's very, very interesting. And the reality is, too, for international content, countries that have a Netflix hub there are pushing out their own content and it's available to you as a Netflix subscriber. So it, it it does mean we have a bit more easy access to some of these things through that platform. So, but we do, yeah. you're right. We try to spread things out a bit and it just so happens that there's a lot of Korean content on Netflix and that just happens to be kind of ended up that way for this show. So if memory serves me, Kingdom was the first Netflix Korean show. Yes, it was. And they sort of, it was a very good that it was successful for them because it was it let them have a platform to be like people are interested in this content we're doing some different things and audiences are responding well to that not just in Korea but internationally there's an interesting podcast episode on we are Netflix about Netflix Korea and Kingdom as well if you're interested 
We were going to cover a movie. I think mm. we've gone on again for too long today. We want to do um, it a bit of justice, I think. We'll hold it over? Yeah, there's yeah. a bit to dig into that I want to chat through, so I don't think we should rush it. So I'm happy to hold it over for next time. Mm. Again, it's a Netflix one. It's called Time to Hunt. It's a dystopic movie set in the very near future with three friends who pull a heist off. Yes, and then <laughs> chaos ensues, chaos so ensues. often does. I did note that uh, one of the actors in it, one of the three amigos in uh, oh. Time to Hunt, is uh, Wu Sik Choi, yeah. who was in Parasite. Yes, and that was. He was the son of the Kim family. Yes, indeed. That was kind of what drew this to my attention. Also because it's one of the, it's a Netflix original. It was meant to be released this year, so it was kind of top of mind. And I think they advertised it to me. But I was interested because I saw that he was in it. He was also in Okja and Train to Busan. Yeah. yeah. So he's, he's really kicking out. He's on the up and up. Yeah. Except in this movie. No, <laughs> don't. I can't. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks to Kayla Larson, our, our podcaster. Yes, thank um, you. We didn't actually need additional technical help this week, but at least we think that we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and to both of our partners, to Gail. Yes, and Carl. Thank you, Carl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who've been very understanding with the challenging production circumstances of zero G in a pandemic. Yes, and the insistences to be, please be quiet for this hour and 15 minutes. Don't make a sound. Don't go to the toilet. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, thank you for your patience. Yes. All right, well, that's, that's it for Zero G this week. And to our audience out there, I'm so glad that we are still able to talk to you. It, it means a lot to us. Yes. And hopefully it means something to you. <laughs> Joe Brunatic coming up next with Astral Glamour. We will go out with a track called We Are the Dead. Of course, it's Mr. David Bowie. Come, Sammy Da, Yerabun. All right. Okay. Uh, that's us with our K Undead episode, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. G'day. This is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.